Hi, everyone. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that's um, really interesting about what uh, Joel's just uh, talked about is the fact that this building is 100 years old. And recently, I just came back from a trip to Spain where buildings are 2,000 years old or more. So it's all about perspective. But all I'm saying is that it's not about the time, the length of time, or how old something is. I think what we're talking about here is the spiritual discipline of celebration. And I think we have a wonderful opportunity to acknowledge a really, really good God. And uh, that's what we're about. Um, and I don't think we get to celebrate enough sometimes. And if we're celebrating 100 years or 1,000 years, let's do that. And uh, actually, we still do that today. We uh, go on a, on a journey with Jesus. We do life with Jesus. We might call it a pilgrimage or we might call it um, doing life or just spending time with Jesus. And one of the things that we do still is we celebrate communion. And that means gathering, gathering together as believers and guests at the table, and we get to share with each other, and we're celebrating something, we're enacting something, we're remembering a story that happened 2,000 years ago. So it's worth celebrating, and we're doing that now. And so um, I, on the theme of pilgrimage, I want to share a little bit of my experience, because we're gonna, I'm going to tag team with Sandy. Now, Sandy, if you think about a pilgrim, Sandy, I don't ever remember meeting Sandy uh, because she was part of my life ever since I was, um, yeah, a really t little person. She knew my parents very well. She ended up being one of my teachers when I was doing my undergraduate, and I ended up being, we did colleagues uh, here at Door of Hope, and uh, she's been part of our college life as well. So Sandy's been a pilgrim, pilgrimer, a pilgrim person um, <laughs> with, with me, and, and so we thought... Over the next four weeks, we're going to spend some time on the book of James, and we're actually going to feed off each other a little bit. I'm going to start off this evening, and Sandy's going to come and do the second part, and we're really open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What do you want us to speak about over the next four weeks? What is it about the book of James that could be relevant for all of us? And so I mentioned that I went to Spain recently, and I had the opportunity. There's going to be a map that, uh, on the screen where I walked uh, along with seven others from lots of different places around the world. Where, and we left from a place called Gijon. Can you turn to the person next to you and say Gijon? Gijon on the north of Spain. And uh, our trip was to make 350-kilometer journey uh, across the north of Spain and then inland into a, uh, a town or a city called Santiago de Compostela. And Santiago is actually the Spanish name for James. And that pilgrimage walk is one of many walks that you can do. Um, and around about 500,000 people are going to do that walk this year. Not that particular trail, but lots of different trails leading up to Santiago. And you can see some photos of our journey together. We were walking in 30-degree warmth. Uh, we enjoyed lots of sunshine and dolphins through the roof as we were doing exercise, 30 kilometers each day, walking through country roads. We're up and down mountains, through valleys, uh, metaphorically and physically, uh, as we tackled some of the tricky aspects of our walk, uh, through pain and endurance, blisters, really tight calves. Uh, we walked about seven, six or seven hours, sometimes with not enough food. Uh, we slept with a whole bunch of strangers each night. You can imagine all those sounds in the middle of the night. The biggest room we slept in was with 47 other people. And there was a dog and there were six bikes in the, in, all in one room. No aircon, all the blinds closed because for security reasons, etc. And then eventually we arrived at this Cathedral de Santiago. 
And this was the, the destination. This is where all the pilgrims are walking to. And more than a thousand years ago, a priest discovered uh, the remains of what he concluded to be the, the bones of the Apostle James. And once the news got out, the king at the time made a pilgrimage um, and made his way to where the remains were, and eventually a cathedral uh, was put together. And our opportunity to do the walk for us, our little team of eight, was really to get alongside other people and have spiritual conversations. We weren't so much interested in the, the cathedral bit of it. We were more interested in actually doing life with others and journeying with them. Now, what's interesting about uh, this um, our pilgrimage is that the nature of James, where the bones, his bones are, no one really knows which James we're talking about. And uh, that is some of the tension, I suppose, that we come to when we're investigating the book of James. But just before we get there, um, the book of James is much loved. In our Christian history, in our Christian story, when we spend time in the book of James, we appreciate it because it's practical, it's memorable, uh, it's short and easily accessible. Unlike Paul, for example, he gets really techy very quickly as he explains theology, but James isn't so much interested in theology as he is interested in the practical outworking of that theology. And so he uses metaphors and illustrations, and I'm a big fan of metaphors. I, th I think sometimes the deeper things allow in our lives are best captured by a picture rather than a technical word. And so we have in James billowing sea, we have a withered flower, we have the image of the face in a mirror, the bit in a horse's mouth, the rudder of a ship, the pure spring of water, the destructive forest fire, the arrogant businessman, the corroded metal, the moth-eaten clothes. Lots of rich uh, language there that's really an invitation to come and unpack that. Um, with us together in community. And so nobody knows which James is buried in Santiago, and we're not 100% sure which James wrote the book of James. And so that's not creating unnecessary tension or discomfort. That's just the nature of dealing with ancient texts. And so the, the Greek word, Jacobos, occurs 42 times in the, in the New Testament, and it relates to at least four men. And three of these men are mentioned in just one verse. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 13, we read these words. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. There's already three, okay? And so if we go to the next slide, what I want to show there is the fact that we can start to dismiss some of these. For example, James, the father of Judas, is mentioned in Acts 1, 13 and Luke 6, 16. And what's happening here is that he's mentioned because they want to make a distinction between Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who ended up betraying um, Jesus. And so they name the father of this James, that's of um, Judas, the father, James, the father of Judas, as a way of distinguishing. So we can eliminate him because he's not really anywhere else in Scripture. Son of Alphaeus is only mentioned in lists of apostles. So this happens in Acts, in Mark 3, Matthew 10, Luke 6. 
And he's sometimes, depending on who you read, he's sometimes referred to as also James the Younger. And there's a scene in where Jesus is crucified, and there are people gathered around him, and there are a number of women, and there's also some men that are at the cross. And one of the mentions is James the Younger. And so some people assume that maybe James, son of Alphaeus, was also James the Younger, which is mentioned in Mark and in Matthew. And other than this, this James is really obscure. There's nothing more that we know about this James. And it's probably, we can draw a conclusion here that he was probably not significant enough to write an authoritative book like we have in Scripture. So that's two James down. Then we have James, son of Zebedee, and he's the brother of John. And you know James and John were known as what? Do you remember? Sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. And so what happens here is that uh, this was a more prominent figure in, uh, in the Gospels. And so James, son of Zebedee, was in the inner circle with Jesus, Peter, and John. And he witnessed the resurrection of Jairus' daughter in Mark 5, and also the transfiguration of Jesus in Mark 9. He was there when those things happened. But actually, historically, Herod Agrippa I put this James to death in Acts 12, verse 2, and that was probably around the year AD 44. So he was a prominent figure, but his life was too short-lived because the book of James that we have was actually written after this time period. And so we can remove him from the, from the list, if you like, of probabilities. And so we come to the fourth one, which is James, the brother of Jesus, mentioned in Matthew and in Mark, became, he res- became a respected figure of the early church, and actually he was established or he was put into an office, if you like, of bishop of Jerusalem, and he was known as the righteous or the just because he was of his faithfulness to the scriptures and to prayer. And our information about James, actually, James, the son of Jesus, doesn't come so much from scripture, it comes from at least two other external sources, historical sources, which actually focus predominantly on the death of James, the son of Jesus. And we are told on those two... Sorry, brother of Jesus. Do you play... um, Yeah. Do you play... um, You know, what's the one that you flip? Do you have glasses and you've got to flip? You know, who am I? Yeah, that's what I felt like I was doing here. Um, So what we're talking about is James, the brother of Jesus, actually... according to two historical documents separate to each other, so they validate each other, was actually stoned to death by religious leaders and Pharisees at the time because he wouldn't renounce Jesus. And that was around the year um, uh, 62 AD because he refused to give up that commitment um, to Jesus. And so we find ourselves with a bit of a bumpy start, if you like, to our Christian scripture, and this is what we call the canon. So for the next three or four hundred years, there's a little bit of argy-bargy going on about whether we should include the book of James in the canon or not. And you see, if we go to the next slide, thanks, um, we'll, we'll come across a whole range of dates and a whole range of names or councils, people that gathered together to actually discuss and through the discernment, I suppose, of the Holy Spirit, And with the evidence that they had before them, try and work out which books should be included in the New Testament and which shouldn't. And so we have, for example, Eusebius, 
um, he excluded James, Jude, 2 Peter, and 2 and 3 John because of authorship issues. They couldn't prove who actually wrote those books. And so he came along and he said, I'm going to take all of those out of the, the New Testament writings. Cyril came along and he said, no, 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 we need to include James and wanted to include the Gospel of Thomas, but actually he didn't like the book of Revelation, so he put that out, okay? Cyril. There's a synod that happens a few years later, about 15 years later, and they agree that James is included in the canon, and they also, um, there was a dispute around the Gospel of Thomas, it's another, and it's another work that doesn't belong in our canon, in our scripture, but there was this conversation about Thomas happening at the time, and also they agreed that Revelation was out. <laughs> Athanasius comes along a few years later, and he's the first one that recognizes the, all 27 books of the New Testament that we have in our scriptures today. And this is the first time it happens. And then Gregory of um, Nazianaeus also recognized the above, the African canon, uh, Jerome, Augustine comes along and he confirms this. And then we start to get to the end of this idea of the canon or this measure or this rule to come to a close. And that's where you find the scriptures. Until Martin Luther. So 500 years ago, Martin Luther comes along. He's a, he's a German. The pre printing press is starting to take off. And there's an opportunity for scriptures to be more readily available outside of the church context. He comes along and he says, I don't like James, and I wonder whether he left it to the last possible moment to translate the book. Why didn't he like James? Well, for Martin Luther, at the time, the church was very much geared towards working towards your salvation. Martin Luther comes along and he says, actually, I'm, I'm justified with Jesus through faith. Now, he reads James and he wants to translate it into German, and what does James say? You show me how you're saved by faith, and I will show you someone who actually works, as in the outworking of that faith is through works. And so Martin Luther had this sort of disgruntled, I reckon he was a grumpy man, and he really didn't like James, and he called it the epistle of straw. That's how much he didn't like it. Now, let's come back to James as I invite Sandy to come up. Come on up, Sandy. And so one of the things that we uh, want to settle on is that we want to um, think about James as written by the brother of Jesus. And one of the most remarkable things that happens at the start of this book, if you put on the next slide, all the epistles generally follow a, 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 like a, a structure, and it's consistent with other letter writing at the time. There's an author, there is like a greeting, sometimes there's a blessing, or there's a, the naming of the recipients, and then there's a concluding remark. And this is just an example of three books. You can do this for the whole of the epistles in the New Testament. James comes along, and we'll go to the next slide, and this is what James does. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. He doesn't say, James, the brother of Jesus. Here I am. And he leaves us hanging, and he doesn't finish all that well either. He finishes rather abruptly. So I'm going to hand over to Sandy as we unpack this a little bit, as we journey together with James on a pilgrimage through the book of James. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Danny. 
We're doing the book of James because for the last three weeks, you had a series with Luke on how to read the Bible. Is that right? So we thought for the next four weeks, Danny and I would have a chat on how we can discuss a book. I've got a little one. It's just called James, and it's got writing there for me to do that. Uh, just so that we can look at one of the books. My microphone's not working. Is that right? Now can you hear me? Okay, that means I can't use my hands. How can I speak without using my hands? Okay. Okay. Uh, is this all right? I've just got to remember to use it. That's, a, that's the most important thing. That threw me a bit, but never mind. We're doing the book of James to show you in a little way of how actually to read a Bible how to read a book in the Bible, how to read a passage. And if you remember last week, one of the things, or the week before, um, Luke said the Bible was not written to us, but for us. You remember that? And so James was not actually written to us. He didn't have a clue that tonight we would be reading the book of James. He did not even have a clue that it would expand throughout the world, okay? So he was writing to a, all the believers that had left Jerusalem and had moved throughout the then known world. And he was writing to them. But he failed the course at high school on letter writing. Because he failed to say exactly who he was, who he was, uh, and he didn't close it off, and he didn't follow all of the marks of a good letter. So it is actually called an epistle, but it's not. It's not really a letter, like we know a letter. And that's why they've had a little bit of problem with this book. This morning we started a course on Genesis, and I talked about Claire's book. You weren't there, Claire. You got great coverage this morning. We've got two... <laughs> We've got two people in our congregation who have authored books. Now, this morning I talked about the culture and context of Claire's book. Tonight I want to talk about a guy called Adam Collins. Do you know him? He has written a trilogy on science and he uses the literature form of science fiction. He's also written lots of stories. You didn't know that we had this, these celebrities here. But he, he's all right. But, you know, I'm not a science fiction fan. I'm not really sure why. It's probably because I didn't study science or understand science at school. But for a science fiction writer, they've got to know two things. The reality of the world as it is and how science works. And then they project that through fantasy and imagination into the future where the possibilities and probabilities of all these scientific things can happen, aliens and all this kind of stuff. You can read the books. But we know that when we read science fiction, we go into the science fiction movie or book with an understanding that it's not true, with an understanding that it's fiction that it's not true science. It's just using something and taking us on a journey with our imagination into the future. Well, the literature style that James uses is called the wisdom literature. 
And he also failed at high school on the course of writing essays. You know how you write an essay? What do you have? Introduction and a conclusion over here and every paragraph flows on. Is that right? James, bless him, <laughs> he had 12 different ideas that didn't really connect. So his style was very different. And the other thing he didn't do, he didn't do right theology like Paul. He didn't talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what faith and righteousness and all this kind of stuff. He did mention faith, by the way. He, but he didn't talk about how profound it was. And you know, when you read Paul sometimes, you need a dictionary. Not with James. James is about practical theology. Now, when you study theology, you can study all kinds of theology. You can do biblical theology. You can do the theology of something we call eschatology, the last things. You can do pastoral theology. You can do Old Testament theology. You can do New Testament theology. And you spend hours and hours looking at little tiny things and how they connect. Theology is not easy, but we're all theologians because we all are curious about God and how we do it is much more practical. So he's telling us how we can live and his main thing in life is how you and I, because it's written for us but not to us, how we can navigate life when life isn't easy. How we can go through life when it's paradoxical or it's difficult or there's trials and it just is plain different from what we expected. And so he's teaching us to do that. And as I said, he has 12 different topics. They're all introduced to us in the first chapter, which I invite you to read during this week. Um, and you can follow that there's no paragraph that links on to the next one. Remember, he failed essay writing. But he's quite in, he, he is very clever with what he's doing because he's an advocate for human rights. He's also passionate about the poor and the needy. And he says, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your life should look like this. That's the beauty of a book like James. And that's why James is a very important book for Christians, especially new Christians. And Christians who've been Christians for a long time need to read over and over and over again. Because it is really a little handbook that says, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is what your life will look like. You will be quick to listen. Help. Who failed that one? You will be slow to speak. Christy, that one's for you and me. Okay? <laughs> she doesn't mind me saying that. We will be slow to anger. That one's probably for, no, that one's not so much. Is that one for someone here? Someone here? No, that, that one's for you? Yeah, okay. It's okay saying these things. So that's why they're written for us. It says that our tongue is like a bushfire. It's a little spark that can set 
the forest alight. And it's got these, as Denny says, lots of little metaphors, lots of things like that. But it also says this, and this is where we're going to finish tonight with a verse, the last two verses of chapter 1, because this is really the main theme. He uses the word religion. Has it come up on the screen? Yes, it is. It says, if anyone of you and me along here and right through the ages think that you're religious and does not bridle the tongue. Do you know what bridle is? That's what horses have. They have this little thing around them and they have a, they have a bit in their mouth and it, something where you can guide the horse, okay? If you cannot control your tongue, you deceive yourself. So the first thing that James is saying about being a follower of Jesus is that you know how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and have the spirit of the living God controlling what comes out of your mouth. Help. No wonder new Christians and old Christians have to keep reading this book. Because that says if you're a follower of Jesus, what comes out of your mouth will indicate to others. The second thing he says here is that this person's religion is worthless, by the way, if you can't do that. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, before God the Father, is this. You've got it. Remember I said he was passionate about the needy? He was a human rights advocate. He was all for inclusiveness, treating everyone the same. So he says, visiting orphan and widows and those in affliction, widows in affliction. Now, this is what I want to say about James. James doesn't give us anything new. There's nothing really new. It's done differently. It's done quite... um, well, different from any other book in the New Testament, but he gets his teaching from Jesus. He also is influenced greatly by the prophets and by Proverbs. Now, I'm saying the prophets because of this. When the prophets, and there's a whole lot of prophets in the older part of the Bible, when they wrote, they were saying, you naughty, naughty, naughty people of God, you Israelites, you haven't really got it. You practice religion, you practice sacrifice, you go to the temple, but you don't know how to do justice, love mercy, you don't know how to love your neighbour, and you do not know how to care for those who are in need. That was their message. A follower of Jesus, someone who says they love God, will be someone who loves the neighbour as themselves. And that is having a heart and a passion for those who are different from us, especially the needy. So two things so far about pure religion. It will be someone who can control their tongue. It will be someone who is passionate about all peoples, especially the needy. Social justice, caring, loving. And then it says, and you will keep yourself unstained from the world. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus said, for they shall see God. 
And last week morning, we had a discussion about what righteousness is and how that because we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ, who became sin for us, we can be forgiven. And God gives us the Holy Spirit who lives inside us, changes our lives, and we are called righteous. If we confess our sins, we are made right with God. If we have the Lord Jesus Christ living in us through the gift of the Spirit given to us when we surrender our lives to God, then that is evidence of living a life that pleases God in purity. So we are quick to say sorry. We're quick to confess and we ask God to help us to walk in his ways. So that is the message of James. You've got it? James, the straw epistle. James, who failed in letter writing, who failed in essay writing, has a lot to say to us. Amen. What we would like you to do is to contact us through the web during the week and comment and ask questions about the book of James. We want to journey with you. We want to answer your questions if we can. We want wisdom from you because you're on the pilgrimage and you're on the journey. Amen. Amen.